Well, hey, friends, we're about to get this episode started. It's a good one, but I first wanted to let you know about something that I recently created. I know that what you want most from your spiritual life is a sense that God is near and that your experiences have meaning within His plan for your life. But sometimes we run into seasons when they just don't make sense, God doesn't make sense, and you wonder if He's even aware of how the hard circumstances are affecting you or your prayers are just kind of bouncing off the ceiling what you need in those times, the spiritually rocky stretches, is a plan for engaging God. Well, fortunately for us, the Bible is full of people who experienced the exact same frustration with God and whose faith survived the experience. How? Well, that's why I wrote What to Do When You're Mad at God, which you can get as a free download by going to halfwaytherepodcast.com slash mad. Just go there right now. You can put in your email address, and then it shows up in your inbox, and it's completely free. Plus, I will send you the latest content and our new material that we're working on. I've got a bunch of things I can't wait to share with you. But if you don't like it, you can unsubscribe at any time. So go now to halfwaytherepodcast.com to get your free download and a plan to help you move through your anger and back into worship, and uh, let me know what you think. So again, halfwaytherepodcast.com slash mad, and hey, let's get this show started. All right, well, welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. My name is Eric Nevins. Thank you for being here. And I'm excited to bring this episode to you. Today, we are talking to Lutheran pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Brian, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you, Eric. I'm really glad to have you here. And, uh, I know that you're a pastor over in Aurora, and but uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then and then we'll dive in to the past and how God brought you here. Yeah, absolutely. So the short uh, list is I'm uh, been the pastor of Hope Lutheran Church here in Aurora, Colorado, for 13 years. My family, my wife Carrie, and our four kids live here, and they're. I've got two high schoolers and two elementary school kids, although we're about to transition. So we'll have one in middle school. And then in a year, if you can believe it, I'll have one in college, one in high school, one in middle school, one in elementary school. So that's great. Yeah. And uh, I've been serving the church here, Lutheran uh, Church, Missouri Synod Congregation, since I graduated from seminary in 05. And uh, uh, love uh, love theology and the way that it and the way that it matters, you know, the way that it brings us comfort in the midst of all sorts of trouble. So uh, I, I love that work. I think theology is probably a hobby of mine, which is good and bad, because I, ne- I can never tell when work stops and when goofing <laughs> around starts. Right. That's actually not, that's not a bad thing. That, that's good, right? It's great for me. It's terrible for my wife, because she thinks that I'm working when I'm really just goofing off. <laughs> you're, you're studying. What kind of things do you like to do, like read, that is fun reading for you? Well, yeah, uh, I um, I love the history and theology stuff. And rec- recently, Eric, I've been getting into the stories of the martyrs. Oh. Uh, the last month and a half, I've been reading a lot of the uh, these stories of the Christians that gave up their life for the faith. And these these are incredible stories. Just, I mean, so fantastically moving. And so I've been telling a lot of them, and and uh, telling some on YouTube, telling some in my sermons, and. And um, I'm so amazed by him that people are saying, hey, hey, that's probably enough, Pastor. (laughs) 
uh, you know, we don't want to bring I, this on ourselves, right? That's right. I, I also, for just when I'm goofing off, I like to, my wife and I like to watch the TV show Chopped. Do you know that show where they have people just have to cook goofy stuff out of a basket? That's probably my, oh, yeah, my guilty pleasure. That's a lot of fun. There you go. That's it. That's good. I think, does Alton Brown host that one? No, that's, I know that guy though, that guy who knows everything about food. That's the, um, I saw him on like a Iron Chef Gauntlet or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, I'm a big Elton Brown fan. His podcast, by the way, he hasn't done it in a while, but when he does, when he puts one out, it's amazing. He's just oh. so interesting in the way that he uh, talks to people. In fact, he interviewed William Shatner. That was that was a trip. That was really good. Oh. Wow. <laughs> anyway, That's cool. Um, okay, so tell us a little bit about your background. I don't. Where are you from? You said you were, you came out here after seminary. Are you from Colorado or? Oh, Texas. I was born in okay. Texas. And then, um, so I've, I've lived kind of 12 years in all these different places, 12 years in, in the hill country of, uh, Kerrville, Texas. And then when I was 12, my family moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I lived there for 12 years. That's where I went to high school and college. My wife and I met, uh, we were both going to college there. And, uh, and then we left from there for four years for the seminary. And then we've been 12, 13 years now in, uh, in Colorado. So it's kind of life divided into three big chunks Sure. Um, so was your family a Christian family or how did you yeah. find Christ initially? Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I was baptized as a baby in the, in the ALC, the, the Lutheran church, which later became the ELCA. That's kind of the mainline denomination of, of Lutherans. They were, they have been and continue to be on a steady slide towards apostasy. It's a sad thing to see, especially with my family, but the ELCA has just adopted the attitude uh, that the scriptures contain errors, and and that affects everything. It's a leaven that leavens the whole lump. So, but that's where I, I grew up, and I uh, I was given Bibles there. I was learning the Bible stories. Uh, probably my freshman year in high school, though, the eighth grade year, freshman year, I had some profound theological difficulties. Um, I, I figured that there was a couple of things that happened. They weren't bad things looking back, just kind of normal stuff with families. I, I lost a couple of friends. We moved from one place to another, but I, I couldn't help but thinking that God was, um, was causing these things to happen out of his anger for me, that he was punishing me for idolatry. In fact, I remember thinking very distinctly at one point when my family, my parents told me that we were moving from Texas to New Mexico uh, I was so upset, and I, uh, but I thought that God was punishing me for, for having friends, and he's saying, look, I'm supposed to be your one friend, and so I'm going to remove all your friends so you have no one with me. And I remember thinking at the same time, well, if that's how God's going to be, then I don't want to have anything to do with them. So so I kind of jumped into a, a, a life of, it wasn't, it wasn't unbelief, it was, but it was definitely rebellious anger against God. I, I didn't want to have anything to do with God and I would mock people who did. And, and I lived accordingly, um, just kind of chasing after all the pleasures of life that, a that a 15 year old boy's chasing after. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so, so there was a, a couple of particularly dark, dark years, uh, there when we moved from Texas to New Mexico. And, uh, and dark because they were theologically dark, dark because I thought that God was angry with me and, and I didn't care. And, um, and I, I, a couple of friends in the youth group where my parents, you know, they would still make us go to church. A couple of friends there, finally, um, we had some, mm, 
I remember to, to, uh, to tell the story. I remember one time in particular, a good friend, Chad, and I were talking. He was a sophomore. I was a freshman in high school. And, uh, and we were talking about uh, a couple of things, about how I figured God was mad at me, about how I didn't care. And he, he kind of pushed through all that, you know, all the nonsense that I was spouting. Hmm. And he said, hey, look, at uh, uh, Jesus uh, is your Savior. And those words came kind of crashing in on me uh, all anew. It's really it's quite wonderful. And um, and the Lord granted me then the gift of, of repentance. And and I started to I started to read the Bible. I started to want to go to church. I started to uh, to to believe again the truth of the, of the scriptures. And that set me towards a love of, of theology and a love for the Lord's word that. I hope I've I've continued on the same path probably since then, just continuing to study and rejoice in the simplicity of Christ in the scriptures. Yeah. Wow, what a great story. What so what piece of Jesus being your savior do you think was not kind of clicking for those few years? There was uh, when I think back on it now, I think um that it was some pretty sophisticated theology that the devil had tricked me with. Because um, I, I think I had believed, and maybe the devil does this more often than not. I had believed that God's law was an indication of his anger for me rather than an indication of his love for me. In other words, the devil had tricked me into thinking that because I want to do the things that God forbids, it must be that God doesn't like me, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I want to be whatever, I, you know, I want to be rich, or um, uh, I, I want to be. I, I don't think that um, that uh, intimacy in, in different ways with uh, with my girlfriend that, that that is should be forbidden to marriage or whatever you know that kind of stuff. And so it must be that God is angry with me, and uh, and 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 he's and and God is the great killjoy. And Jesus, on the other hand, and, and, and the devil, on the other hand, is the one who wants me to, you know, to, to live life to the fullest. So that, so, so that and, and I think that that trick works often. I mean, when, when it comes especially to youth who, there's this great little line in, in Martin Luther. He says that the youth are particularly tempted by sins of the flesh, whereas as we get older, we're particularly tempted by sins of the world. But the, the youth are tempted by the sins of the flesh that the, the devil comes along and says, yeah, yeah, God and all his laws just wants to put a, put a, 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 you know, throw a wet blanket on all your fun. And I suppose in some ways I had believed that, although it, um, I, I would have tried to set it in, say it in a more sophisticated way, that God is trying to, that God's assault on all my idols is an assault on, my, on myself or something like that. Uh, and I and so I, I was posturing myself as defending my own idols, defending my own identity, rather than um, uh, letting the Lord say, "This is what's good for you." Yeah, so interesting. And when you put it in terms of identity, you know, there's it's one thing when you're fighting for who you think you are; it's a different thing to let the Lord tell you who you are. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I mean, it's amazing though when the Lord says, "Hey, you're mine. I've adopted you. I put my I put my name on you when I baptized you. That's why we're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and adopted into God's family." And when we pray the Lord's prayer, we're praying that as God's children. You know, we have this great story that that we have a Father, that the Father has a kingdom, and that the Father is being assaulted, and that we're being protected. That's the, I mean, this great kind of epic story of the Lord's prayer. 
And so the Lord is giving us this identity as his children. Behold, this is this beautiful verse. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God and such as we are. So that God calls us his children and, and we can rejoice in that identity or we can start fighting against it. Say, no, 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 I want to wander off. This is the whole story of the prodigal son. I'd rather have the riches rather than the name. Give me the inheritance. I'm going to go waste it, chasing after my own desires. Uh, and yet the Lord is there ready for us to, to, to turn back and to recognize that, that uh, having his name and having his friendship is the most valuable thing of all. Oh, yeah. Amen. Wow. That's, so that's a great story. So where did, how did you start to grow in that? Were there, was there anybody in your life during that time in, in high school besides that one friend that, or maybe it was that person, I don't know, uh, who was kind of, who kind of discipled you or kind of helped you rediscover these things? It's interesting to think back on this, the kind of the high school youth group time. There's a, there's a bunch of good friends, um, that, but it's a weird sort of situation. I, I think back on it now as a pastor, and I, and I wonder how the heck did that happen? So <laughs> we, we were at, it was a youth group for a very, very liberal, atheological Lutheran church. And they had hired to be the youth pastor, the um, a, uh, a praise band leader from the local Calvary Chapel, who was a charismatic and a, and a, a believer in the scriptures. So I, I don't think he was convinced that the Lutheran, that anything about the Lutheran church was good. And he was trying to, in some ways, protect us from this. So there was a few of us that he had identified as spiritual and he would take us over to the Calvary chapel on Sunday nights for as like a little youth group retreat. And I, I can imagine, I was trying to think if, if I had a youth pastor here at Hope where I serve and he was taking people over to another church on Sunday mm-hmm. night because he didn't think that they were getting the right stuff on Sunday morning. I mean, that is not, it's not a healthy situation, but I wasn't paying that much attention to it. I just like to, to study the Bible. So, so I really started to get shaped up, even though I was a member of this liberal Lutheran church, I started to get shaped up theologically along the lines of um, American Bible Christianity, uh, non-denominational uh, theology. And so I really started studying um, theology in that context. Uh, we would go to the Calvary Chapel on Sunday nights. My wife and I met when I was helping teach the Bible study at a Southern Baptist church. And I was paying attention to all the guys on the radio, uh, making note of it, studying a bunch of prophecy stuff, uh, a bunch of the prophecy teachers back in those days, and, and reading all the uh, popular books, uh, listening to all the popular Christian music. And my... Uh, so I had, I, I think I had a lot of mentors, both kind of on the ground and as well as in the broader Christian culture, a lot of voices that I was listening to. And that was great. Uh, it was good to learn the scriptures that way. It was good to start to cut my theological teeth. But I started, especially into college, to ask some of the tougher theological questions. I, and I don't know, Eric, I, I think sometimes I've it's different for every person. In fact, one of the questions I like to ask when I when I talk to people is, what was the first serious theological question that you started to ask it. But I started to ask some of these, like, you know, can you lose your salvation? Yeah. Uh, what is the, what role does the will play in conversion? Um, I started to ask some questions and probably cause I was hanging around the Lutheran church. I was asking questions like what actually happens with baptism? Uh, should we, or should we not baptize the babies? Things like, things like this. And, and so I started to ask some of these theological questions and that kind of sent me on uh, religious journey phase two. My wife Carrie and I were engaged at the time, and we started 
we, we became very discontent with all the churches in which we were involved. We, uh, we knew that the, the liberal Lutheran church where my family was and the liberal Presbyterian church where her family was, that th- those weren't right. I mean, they weren't treating the God, God's word seriously as the, as the truth. But we also were becoming having some theological questions about these other places where we were. You know, what, uh, what about this? You know, verses like um, uh, "Be baptized and have your sins washed away." Thing, things like that. Uh, ba- baptism saves you. First Peter three twenty one. We couldn't, we couldn't get a good answer on, on those questions from the pastor. So, so we went and we started visiting every church we could possibly think of on Sunday mornings. We went to the. Uh, we went to the Methodist Church and to the Episcopalian Church. We went to the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church. We went to the Pentecostal Church and the Presbyterian Church and the liberal churches and the American Baptist and the Southern Baptist. We visited them all, and we'd talk to the pastors. We'd say, hey, what do you believe? Give us give us your doctrine. And, and we started studying all of the different denominations and their teachings. And um, and for about a year and a half during our whole engagement, we were we were going through this this process of investigating the scriptures and the different churches' teachings, trying to trying to sort out who taught the simplicity of Christ. Wow. Okay. Well, so what did you decide? Because that's that's amazing. You kind of did the denominational world tour there. Yeah. Yeah. We did. We did. Uh, I mean, so it was. It's interesting um, that that there's really, you know, there's a handful of different. Mm, denominations. We look at it and we see thousands and thousands of different denominations. In fact, that's one of the things that the Catholic apologists will use against the not Catholics. And mm-hmm. look at all the different churches. Right. And even unbelievers will use that. Look at how you Christians can't get sorted out. Why, why do you expect me to be able to sort out what you guys are talking about? But there's really not that. I don't think there's that many questions when it really comes down to it. You have the conservative liberal divide, which is just the question of, is the Bible God's word or not? And of course, it's God's word. I mean, it testifies of itself in every way to be God's word and to be true in every way. And, and, and Paul says, let God be true and every man a liar. So we have to say that, you know, if the Lord's word isn't true, we don't have anything. So, so you can't be a liberal. We got to confess the scriptures, but then, okay. So what about all these different conservative denominations? And we, we found that the dividing line came when you especially talk about, uh, original sin and baptism, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Hmm. That if you talk about those three questions, you can really sort out how the different churches uh, uh, come out, how, how they fall when they when they want to read the scriptures. Uh, does the will have something to do with conversion or not? And and we became convinced from various passages like you know Ephesians two one and First Corinthians two fourteen that we're dead in trespasses and sins that the natural mind cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God and so that the will is what's converted, that the will doesn't play a role in conversion. So that put us to the classically Reformed school, either the Calvinists or the Lutherans. Right. And then the further division came when it came to questions basically of baptism and the Lord's Supper. I remember one night uh, I, um, I was talking about uh, to a Lutheran friend who was telling me that baptism forgives sins, and I said, no, it can't be. That is impossible. We're saved by grace, not by works. Baptism can't forgive sins. And he says, well, show me in the Bible. So I went and I, I took my Strong's Concordance and I looked up every passage on baptism. There's like 212 passages that mention baptism. And I looked them all up and I read them. And I came back to him the next morning and I said, all right, I, I will concede this. Uh, 
that according to the scriptures, baptism has something at least to do with salvation. I mean, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Be ba baptized and have your sins washed away. When you're baptized, you're, you die with Christ. Uh, uh, baptism now saves you. In, in baptism, we put on Christ. Uh, all, all these texts that talk about God's grace and salvation and baptism, that they have something to do with one another. And so, so that kind of put me on the path of uh, uh, wrestling with some of these um, Lutheran doctrines. So, so that was sort of the first step. And it was a long time until that came to an end, but I, I became convinced, um, remain, I suppose, convinced that the, that the Lutheran doctrine actually teaches the simplicity of Christ. And it, it lets the Bible say everything that it says, but it doesn't add man's work or man's doctrine to it. So I've been glad to, I've been, it was a really, really difficult process. I mean, full of tears and agony to come to that conclusion, but having come to it, there's great joy now. And I find mm -hmm. great joy in, in teaching this to the people that I encounter. Oh yeah. Interesting. Wow. Well, that's definitely, it's a little bit different. I don't know if I've talked to many uh, people who come from a Lutheran perspective, but certainly um, I think that's that's an interesting perspective um, to take there. What? So tell me about, um, I was just curious while you were talking there about kind of how your, what your experience of God is generally like uh, within scripture, but then also just like besides scripture. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a couple of stories, this, this, um, a couple of negative stories okay. uh, that, sh that shaped me um quite profoundly. Um, I remember, uh, one of the things that I was taught in the, uh, in the churches where we were going in high school and, and in college was that, um, was to uh, something like, you might've heard this before, that prayer is a two way street that we have to speak to God, but we also have to listen to God. And there's a way that we're, that we're kind of, we're trained devotionally, to be quiet and to listen for God on the inside of us, to, on the, the, the still small voice kind of stuff. And, and I had a number of experiences where I, I heard what I, what I was convinced was the voice of God talking to me or indicating certain things to me, and, and a number of experiences, but a, a couple in particular. I remember one time I was living in this very remote village in the highlands of Fiji, uh, working for a company there called Rustic Pathways that did student adventure travel and and um and I would go to church there in this village. It was a Methodist church in the in this very remote Fijian village, uh, Nasibi Koso and Nubu Levu were the two places where we lived on Viti Levu, the big island in Fiji. And um and I was learning Fijian, but I couldn't understand it, especially in the preaching. And I remember praying that the Lord would would give me the gift of interpretation that I would be able to interpret the, the languages that were being preached so I could be edified by the preaching. And I was praying for this for weeks until at last one Saturday night, so I was going to bed, um, the, I, I, I heard the Lord, I had this profound impression that, uh, that the Lord was giving me the gift of interpretation. And that in church the next day, I would be able to understand the preaching and and hear and be edified by it. 
And I was, I could hardly get to sleep. I was so excited that I got up and got ready and put my suva on, you know, this formal dress that you wear to church in, in the South Pacific. And, and we went to church and that day, the service was, is normally two or three hours. That service was almost five and a half hours long. They had five or six preachers and I couldn't understand a single word that they said, not a single thing. And, um, and that really, Eric, that, that, that moment, that, and that profound disappointment, uh, and that confusion really threw me for a loop. I didn't know what, I didn't know what to make of it because I was, I was convinced that that was the, the voice of God speaking to me, but then I know that God cannot lie. So what, what was that? What was the voice? Yeah. Where did that come from? Was it, was it the devil? Was it something I made up? And why, why would the Lord let that happen to me? I, I remember another, and this is a kind of a, a slightly embarrassing story, but I was meditating on um, the the rapture, the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Uh, and, what, and, and just to speak quickly on the rapture, when, when I found out that the Lutherans didn't believe in it, weren't pre-trib, I just about said, well, forget it. They must not be Christians. So that, that was a big, <laughs> that was weeks of wrestling with that issue because I was right there on the pre-trib rapture. In fact, yeah. I went backpacking around Israel when I was 19 to, so I could see biblical prophecy fulfilled right before my eyes. So right in that same context, I was meditating on this and I heard a very distinct voice that I, I thought was the voice of God saying to me, Brian, uh, it's time for the rapture. And, and I said, Lord, this is that you? Yeah, Brian, I'm telling you, it's time for the rapture. And I said, why are you telling me? And he said, the voice said, so you can get a head start. So I went, I went out of my house. I went into the backyard and I heard the countdown three, two, one. And I jumped up in the air to get a head start on the rapture. <laughs> wow. And I landed. And I think I, I, I joke sometimes that that when I landed, is probably when I started to become a Lutheran. <laughs> oh, interesting. Be- because because I had to say that, that that sound, that voice, that inclination on the inside is not trustworthy. Now, I know that God wants to tell me things that are true, that I can believe, but if he's not telling me those things directly to my heart, how is he going to tell them to me? And and then to know that... so. The old Lutheran said, like Luther said, any, anything, anytime uh, someone wants to say that something is spiritual, but it doesn't come to us through the external word, but rather they want to come to the internal word, we know that that's not the Holy Spirit. That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. Oh, the Holy yeah. Spirit comes through the external word and not through the internal. And, and I was being shaped up in those, they, in those theological days to look for the voice of God on the inside rather than hearing the voice of God on the, on the outside. And, and I think maybe to just put a little bow on this, that, that I've found that being a pastor, that's most of my work. People want to always hear the voice on the inside. Pastor, I feel like uh, God has abandoned me, or I feel like I can't be forgiven, or I feel like I should move in with my girlfriend or whatever. And I can say, look, I don't, I don't really care what you feel like on the inside. That's not how God speaks to us. He speaks to us in the Word. Yeah. And does he say you're forgiven? Does he say that he's with you? If that's the case, then, in fact, those things are true. Right. Yeah, you know, one of the more profound moments for me uh, was when I was in seminary and studying Revelation and how God how God reveals himself, not the book of Revelation. 
Um, and I was a little stunned because I expected to be writing about scripture and inerrancy and infallibility and all that, which I did when I got to that part. But I also found this kind of hierarchy that I, that I use. Um, so just to tell you where I'm at, like I, you know, God is revealed in Jesus, of course, right? He's mm-hmm. fully revealed in him. And then there's the scriptures. And then there's these moments that we can't really deny exist when God does break in and say something to somebody or ask them to do something, um, you know, or, you know, comforts them. There's all, there's all kinds of ways that God, that God will speak that way, but that they're in order of most importance to least importance. And you have to filter them up. Right. So, you know, if you feel like God said something to you and it, does, it disagrees with scripture, well, we go with scripture because it's more authoritative than the voice that you heard. I don't know. How does, how does that is, do you, do you look at it that way also, or do you have a, do you just completely disregard all personal interaction with God? Well, I'm, I'm sympathetic to what you're saying. And, and certainly that's the case. I mean, John says that we should test the spirits yeah. to see whether they're, they're from God or whether they're deceiving spirits. So, so there's all, there's a way that we take every thought captive to Christ and we don't want to deny that the Lord works providentially and in right. all sorts of different ways. But I think that, that, uh, and that the Lord can come and speak directly to a person. You can't, we simply can't deny because the Lord does it over and over in the scriptures. From beginning to end. And that's the thing I couldn't get over. Like I, I couldn't be a cessationist because, you know, we have God talking to Adam and Eve. We have God talking to John. And everybody but, in between, right? So it yep. seems like it should be a normal part of the experience, even if well, it's a extraordinary part of the experience. So, so that, but that is where I think I might disagree: is that we're never taught, we're, we are never promised a word from God apart from the scriptures. So, you know, in the, in many and various ways, God spoke to His people of old to the prophets, but now in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, mm-hmm. and that the scriptures come to us uh, precisely for this gift. Now, I think what one of the traditional things that we've said about the scriptures that I've been, so I've been working on this, Eric, just, I mean, kind of recently. So there's something I've been thinking about this question that you asked and, and it, and it has to do with the sufficiency of the scriptures that one of the things that can happen is when the Christian is trained to look for a unique word from God for them. Like for example, they, they don't know what to do for their career or they don't know where to go to school or they're not sure if, who to marry or, or where to live or something like this. And so they're praying that the Lord would reveal these things to them. What, what happens is when we start to look for a unique word from God, we deny the sufficiency of the scriptures. We're saying that the Bible, it might be sufficient for some things or other people, but that I need something more. And, and I, I, I worry sometimes that we're training the the Lord's people to be discontent with the scriptures and to say that, that we need something that more than that. Whereas we, we ought to say, look, the Lord has given me all that I need for this life, all the wisdom that I need in the scriptures. And when I want to hear from God, I, I don't, I don't go outside the scriptures, but precisely to the scriptures, knowing that the Holy Spirit speaks there. So I've been thinking about this question that you asked quite a bit. And I, and I think I might be getting even more, I don't know, more, um, against the idea of that God speaks to us apart from the scriptures, but we have to test it with the scriptures. I, I, I have a growing, I have a growing concern that that sets people up for dangerous theology. Yeah. 
Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Well, you know what? There, I think there's some room for uh, investigation and thought, and um, and absolutely, you know, let's 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 hash it out. So, I'm I'm perfectly okay with that. I think this that's one of the things I like about um, you know about just doing having these kinds of conversations, right? Because iron sharpens iron, and we can we can talk about it. And so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think everybody, you know, you have, you know, friends, you have to come to your own conclusions, study it and, uh, and, and see, see where God leads you with that. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. I, I've always kind of wanted to be a mystic, Brian. So, <laughs> well, well, see, so <laughs> that's one of the things that, um, uh, uh, someone put a, did, did a picture of me one time and they put my face on dog, the ma- bounty hunter, you know, that guy oh, who used yeah. to go around and the, sure. with the crazy hair and they put my face on it and said, uh, a wolf, the mystic hunter, uh, because, uh, <laughs> wow. be- because one of the, one of the things, this is very interesting is one of the things that we are always tempted to Our it's like the native theology of our flesh is mysticism. And I was very, uh, at seminary, I, I someone gave me this book. It's called um, "The Quest for Holiness" by Adolf Kaberly, this old hmm. Lutheran theologian from mid-century, and he, he it was as a doctrinal thesis that was translated. And he his introduction to that talks about how man is always is is in this kind of relentless pursuit of building ladders to heaven. And that those ladders take three shapes. Uh, the the ladders that we build up to try to reach heaven itself, and they're the and they're the ladders of moralism. My will and my good works get me to heaven. The ladder of rationalism. My intelligence and my reason get me to heaven, or get me to the truth. And the third ladder is mysticism. That my that I have a connection to the divine nature on the inside, and that that gets me to bliss. And that these three ladders are all attempts to to scale heaven uh, on our own terms, and that the Bible does something very very different. Instead of it tears down all three of these ladders and says that instead of being on the path of climbing a ladder to revelation or climbing a ladder to get to God, that instead God is coming down to us in Christ <laughs> to be with right. us. So, so Paul says, you know, where, who will ascend into heaven to bring Christ down from the throne or who will go to the grave to bring him up from the dead, but he's near to you and he's near in the word that we preach to you so that in the preached word, God draws near to us to give us all that we need. It's just, so, so that set me on, on a, on an interesting track theologically of, of looking out for. I mean, uh, really, for looking out intentionally towards to, uh, to, towards mysticism and and trying to trying to caution people to uh, you know uh, you know for for that. Um, so I don't know if that's, but yeah, I'm well, interested to hear what you think about you know the uh, the kind of Christian mystic tradition and and how you found it to be helpful. Yeah, you know, so for me, um, I found, uh, you know, I grew up very evangelical, you know, evangelical free church. And the thing that I never understood that kind of led me on this path was that I don't see a lot of change in people's lives. You know, we, we have the gospel, we have scripture, we st- we're there at church three times a week, right? But, you know, still things are not, we're still just the same people. We, we haven't really grown in Christ-likeness. And so, you know, what I found in, in people like, um, 
uh, Richard Foster and Dallas Willard, um, guys, guys like that. Um, and I suppose a few others that I found really, um, spiritual disciplines, but then also just an understanding of how people change. And so, um, which, which does include scripture, of course, absolutely. Um, but, uh, also, I don't know. There are some, there are some mystic practices that I'm uncomfortable with. You know, I've talked to a couple people who are, um, you know, advocates for centering prayer and I don't, I'm not quite there, you know, it's not my practice, but they, it, it seems to, seems to, they seem to, you know, enjoy that. And so, um, I guess that's, you know, part of my thing is I think that it's not, maybe not every single thing, um, in the journey is right for everybody at the same place. And so, um, scripture though is always good for everybody, right? Uh, yeah, that, I, I got yeah, I, I got something that. for you. You're gonna like this. All right. Uh, there's um the old the old uh, monastic tradition. So the old you know the old monks, the Catholic monks, they were all mystics, and and Luther came out of that mystical tradition. Yeah, of course. And they had the threefold path of meditation, which was uh, oratio, meditatio, and contemplatio. Mm-hmm. So prayer, meditation, and contemplation. And so they had the idea that through the spiritual disciplines of meditation and prayer you could come at last to the contemplatio, to the vision of God. And the, and the chief guy among these is this Thomas Aquinas, who at the yeah. end of, of his career, he stops writing altogether because he had the vision of God, and, and, he, and now he, he gives up totally. Well, it's, so, okay, so that's the background. In Luther wrote a, a preface to Psalm 119 in which he said, this is how the Lord makes theologians. And he says there's th- there's three steps, it's oratio and meditatio, same thing as before, but then instead of contemplatio, the vision of the glory of God, Luther's third step was tentatio, which means temptation or suffering or affliction. <laughs> now can you imagine? Yeah. So so that for Luther the idea was we read God's word, we read it out loud, we hear it into the ear, it creates faith. We pray from God's word, yielding the the word of God uh the, as the as the as the sword of the spirit in our prayers. And the result is that we're sent out into the world to suffer for our neighbor. So so instead of seeing right. the the trajectory of the Christian life as kind of towards being swept away by the vision of the divine nature, Luther saw the trajectory that this that the Holy Spirit puts us on is into the suffering of our neighbor, into the lives of our neighbor, to bless and serve them there. So, so that becomes the kind of anti-mystical tradition of the spiritual disciplines in the Lutheran Church, at least as it as it comes down to us in the in that tradition. Isn't yeah. that something? That is interesting. I wouldn't disagree with that either. I think he's right. The idea of sending is huge, and it's never just for us, right? Yeah. There, yeah. There's always a, a piece of, you know, like even Jesus, you would see him get away, you know, by himself and pray, but then yeah. he would come back to the crowds. Yeah, yeah, and and so there's this, um, there's always this, there's there's always a kind of a lurking Gnosticism in mysticism. Yes. So Gnosticism, which says you know the spirit stuff is good, the earthly stuff is bad, and, and which in if you push it far enough, you deny the incarnation, that God yeah. is in the flesh. You deny the creation, you deny the resurrection, and so now we're kind of spirits floating around in these bags, just waiting to be set free. No, 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 no. We we are Amen. flesh and blood. We 
we are father and husband. We we are neighbor, and that God is by the scriptures sending us precisely to be what we are. And and so we don't want to let the idea, the the mystic idea of escape from no, the the Lord. He even sends himself into the midst of this dirt. Right. Yeah, and I so, would totally agree with that as well. I think the the whole thing of you know the the spiritual being good and the physical being bad is ridiculous. And that's obviously that's Gnosticism. It's not, uh, but here's the thing. I also think that a lot of evangelicals are closet Gnostics and they don't even know it. Yeah. Oh, I agree with you. And that, that makes me insane. (laughs) Yeah. No, no. In fact, and in fact, Eric, how about this? So that's what I, um, when I became convinced that baptism forgives sins from the scriptures, I just couldn't escape that conclusion, which, I mean, it might be something that we would disagree on, but, but what's interesting is I, I then had to circle back around and say, why was I so convinced that baptism can't forgive sins? And what I realized was uh. that because baptism was an external thing, because it had to do with water and people moving around, yeah. that I assumed that it was a work that it was that it and that it therefore could not be of spiritual benefit or it could not bring spiritual blessings you see and i realized what was holding me back from saying that baptism was uh forgiveness of sins or that the supper the body and blood of jesus wasn't really the body and blood and the forgiveness of sins was a kind of unidentified gnosticism i saw those external things and said they've got to be physical and therefore they can't forgive sins so so I started to track that down in my own sort of thinking that there was a Gnosticism that was there undergirding the evangelical theology of the mm-hmm. Word and of the sacraments. How about that for interesting? That is interesting. That's amazing. Wow. Okay. Well, take take us – I can, we could talk about this forever, but take us – how did you end up here in Denver? Yeah. So a lot of people say, when did you feel called to be a pastor? And I have to say, well, I don't know if I, I, since I'm the anti-mystic, I don't know if it ever matters that I was felt called to, to be a pastor, but I did feel a call, an internal call to study theology. In fact, I remember one time very distinctly in college, I had made a vow uh, as a young man that I wouldn't go to bed without reading the scriptures in the day. And that it normally meant that I would read the Bible before I went to bed at night. And so there it was, three in the morning, and I'm working on some magnetics problem for my physics homework. And I'm looking kind of longingly over at my Bible. And it all of a sudden dawned on me that some people study the Bible for their homework. (laughs) (laughs) And then some people study the Bible for their job. So I said, I'm, I'm chasing after the wrong thing. And so I went in the next day. I changed my major to literature. I, I started thinking about going to the seminary uh, started to, to be a student of God's Word. And so, so I did and, and went and had a great time at Concordia Theological Seminary. We spent two years in the classroom, and then they sent me down to Texas uh, for a, a year-long vicarage, like a year-long internship, then back for a fourth year in the classroom and, and graduated then in the year 2005. And, and you, when you're getting ready to graduate from the seminary, you, you put yourself out there as available for a call. And, and, uh, and it came out in the mix that, that Hope Lutheran Church here in Aurora, Colorado asked for a seminarian and they matched us up. Uh, and it was just a beautiful match. It's like being sent back. It's like the cherubim have left and I've gotten to go back to the garden of Eden. It's wow. just glorious. And the people here love the, 
love to study the scriptures. They love the Lord's um, truth. So, so I've been here for 13 years, which I think is a it's a long time for for most pastors to be in a yeah. spot this long. But I think I it seems to me like I'm just getting started here. Oh, that's great. That's good. Um, wow. So you also have you have a platform. You you have like a YouTube channel and a variety of different different things. Tell us a little bit about that. I, one of the interesting things to me, so what I th- I think you could tell me if this is right, that a lot of people, so it, when people hear Lutheran, they think of a couple of things. Number one, they think of the liberals who don't believe the Bible. That's right. not, so that's the first, ah, man, that drives me crazy. <laughs> I bet it does. <laughs> and I mean, I, then, but then the second thing is they think of, you know, the old churches that just don't change, you know, how many Lutherans does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> change, you know, that's the answer. Change, and but I think one of the one of the things that we got to be careful with is that there's some things that shouldn't be changed. The doctrine shouldn't be changed. I mean, the Lord gave us enough in the Garden of Eden, the, enough doctrine to, to save us, and we don't mess with the doctrine. Uh, but the, there's other stuff that can and ought to be changed. And so I'm I'm always kind of experimenting with what kind of stuff in new what what is the new technology? How, how can we use it to publish the Lord's Word? to get it out there. So I've been blessed enough to be the co-host of Table Talk Radio, the world's second most famous Lutheran theological game show podcast, uh, which is great. Um, we're still the second most famous because some guys in Australia did it out of their dorm room for a couple of months and they knocked us out of the first place spot. But <laughs> okay. well, that's good. We goof around and we do theology to, to do games. And, and uh, I just recently been exploring um, what we can do with video. So we've got the YouTube channel, which I think is Wolf Mueller one. If people like the YouTubes uh, and, um, and, and writing and, and, uh, and, and speaking and traveling, this is all part of it. We're getting ready to take a trip over to Greece in a couple of weeks and, and track down the steps of St. Paul. So that'll be really fun. So, so yeah, there's a lot of kind of theological, um, experimenting that, that I, I try to engage in. So, so the old truth in, I suppose, in new wineskins in some ways, yeah. uh, to get it out there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I will link to that on, in the show notes, which you guys can find at halfway there podcast.com. So you can find the, the YouTube channel and, um, and the, and then was the other thing a podcast or what was that? Was that on the Table Talk Radio and the YouTube? Yeah. What else do we have? We got I mean, I got tons of things going on. Maybe the best is the blog, which is the humbly named Worldwide Wolfmuller. It's just <laughs> Wolfmuller CO. You can it has you know, has all the various different stuff, upcoming events and uh, camps and retreats we host and books that we publish and perfect videos we make and I got a couple of different radio shows that I'm involved in. So, so all that's there. I, someone asked me to make a list and after 14 pages, they said, man, that's enough. Stop. So, <laughs> so I, I, I even lose track of, um, I, you know, with the stuff that the stuff that I'm doing, but it's all, it all ends up one way or another on the websites. So. Yeah. Perfect. Well, I will link up to wolfmuller.co and friends, you'll be able to find that at halfway and if you want to know more about uh, Brian, you can definitely uh, go there. And um, I bet that if you reach out to him, he'd love to talk with you. So there's a there's a share oh, button man. over there. I love it most of all, man. Oh man, this yeah, I, you, one of the worst things I should I I know you're winding down, but one of the one of the ways that the devil has won uh, in our day is by convincing us that theology is boring. 
I don't even yeah. know how. I mean, here's the news of God coming down into our flesh to bear our sins, to give us new life, and call us as children, and give and 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 give us a, a, an eternal life and a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And He's now set us to stomp the devil under our feet by our works of serving our neighbor, and that that is boring. And we'd rather watch uh, here. We'd rather watch guys trying to figure out how to cook a coconut squash and, and a apricorn <laughs> squash on TV than rejoice in them. I mean. So I, I love it, and if uh, if I can be helpful in people in reinvigorating their love for the Lord's Word and the doctrine, man, I'd, I I jump at the opportunity. All right, well, awesome. Yeah, people can reach you at wolfmuller.co. And Brian, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate the challenging conversation, and uh, that's that's my favorite thing to do. So thanks for bringing it. My p- absolute pleasure, Eric. Thank you so much for having me, and and may God bless your uh, your your ongoing efforts to hear these stories and and to rejoice in them. I look forward to, uh, to keeping in touch. 